following is a special presentation of the Buccaneer Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. It's Friday. We told you we'd talk a little soccer. Well, actually, we said we'd talk football, football, football. We will. And we are. We and we are. We are. We are. We now, we are. all we can do is make you wait. And as the philosopher Petty once said, the waiting is the hardest part, but your waiting shall be rewarded with a SoCon-wide Say What. Ooh. Okay. I like Say What. Yeah. We will have an extended Preseason SoCon football say what coming up later in the show. I like the tease. Okay. Uh, I love listening to uh, normally the cross country, uh, strange and odd things said by who knows who. Uh, now we're going to get them from uh, SoCon coaches. Is that, uh, is that fair to say? Yes. Yes, okay. we'll get them from SoCon coaches. Okay, I don't want to tell them anymore because I want to be We'll surprised. also get a couple of sound bites, just in, I think insightful sound bites from ETSU players as well. Uh, but mainly it's going to be the coaches. Okay. You said that almost as if a question, but you're the one running it, so I'm just making sure that you have the segment. Oh, no, I okay. do. I do. I do. Yeah. I'm only in charge of reacting in, in that segment. And that the, the that portion of it will kind of almost be cordoned off into a into a sub-say what. Uh, that a subset, a say what subset. <laughs> I, I don't know what, I don't know what you mean. We're workshopping on the air again. Um a say what subset that will serve as a fall camp wrap up. Yeah. All right. Yeah, we've got a lot to report on that. And it starts game week on technically for ETSU on Sunday. They will start their preparation for the week ahead as they will take on Jacksonville State on Saturday. Jacksonville State's playing this Saturday. So we will have a little bit to talk about um, them in their first season of FBS playing their first conference game against UTEP. That'll be on the CBS Sports Network for those of you wanting to watch it 4 30. Leave 4:30. Eastern, might be 5:30. I'll have to double check. Anyways, that being said, ETSU men's soccer opened up the season last night against a former Southern Conference foe. Although I guess they did never play in soccer. No, in they that, so. actually never played in men's soccer because ETSU did not have men's soccer in the SoCon the first time around. So this is the set. This was the second all-time meeting between the Bucks and the Georgia Southern Eagles, and the Bucks remain undefeated against Georgia Southern. Or as I like to call them, Gasso. I don't think they like that very much, but they're not in the conference anymore, so Gasso it is. Um, no, I'm kidding. Uh, am I? No, one nil, no, you're not. 1-0, ETSU gets the win. Gabby Ramos, 27th minute off uh, the in the aftermath of a corner kick where he linked up with Hizzy Garcia-Perez and uh, put one home. Very nicely finished from the left post of the top right corner over the outstretched goalkeeper for his... What did I say in the release? Seventh career goal? Sixth or – I think it's the sixth or seventh. Uh, but either way, Gabby got him on the board, and they stayed there. And uh, this game was physical. And Georgia Southern, especially in the second half, um, they, they really turned up the wick on ETSU in the final 45 minutes. And uh, they were very direct. They were running right at defenders. I mean, they were just, you know, as root one as you can get in soccer, playing the ball – in the air, playing the ball very directly at defenders, trying to get guys running in behind them. And ETSU played a little bit of a higher back line. They, they got them offside a few times. 
that didn't slow them down. It did not abate the attack from the Eagles. That was a much improved team from what Georgia Southern was a year ago. I talked to David Lilly before and after. He said beforehand we didn't really know what to expect. There wasn't any video, 15 new players, new coach and Lee Squires. So a lot of unknowns. Uh, I think they learned a lot about themselves. I think we learned a lot about Georgia Southern, and now that team's going to struggle in the Sun Belt because it's, it's a, just a stacked conference. But they're better. They're clearly better. I think that's going to be what they played last night. The team they played last night is going to be great preparation for Mercer. It's going to be very physical. It's going to, I mean, at times it's almost going to look like they're playing rugby out there. Like that's just how physical Mercer is. Uh, they they get themselves stuck in on challenges all the time, and they want to use their physicality to disrupt your buildup and then find a way to find one goal on the other side and beat you that way. So um, I, I was impressed with Georgia Southern. I think Lee Squires done a great job. You know, that was a, a hire that drew a lot of positive reaction from the college soccer community when they made it. Uh, but uh, ETSU was still the better team, and they got themselves in front and they were able to hold fast against him. Cole Hunter was really good. He absolutely earned his eighth career shutout. He spoiled some corners. He got airborne a few times for a couple catches, a couple parries. He was, he was active. He was active. But uh, he was uh, ultimately up to the challenge. Got the impression, talking to David Lilly in the hallway, that he – disappointed is not the right word to say, but not thought, – thought the team – lacked a little bit in the opening performance, or maybe he expected more, I think, out of the, the opener. And curious because, you know, coaches I kind of feel like are that way no matter what. Sure. And so you were able to to watch it. Now, I was getting reports from you on uh, the men's game. So curious your thoughts, Georgia Southern, better than you expected? Yes. Or ETSU? Okay, so that answer. Because, that, again, sometimes coaches say things I'm like, eh, you know. They were, they were a lot better than I expected them to be, and I'm really glad we played them in the first game and not like the tenth game. Hmm. Okay. Because they, they could be pretty good by the time the season comes to an end. Um, but at the same time, I think ETSU showed that they have a lot of room to grow still as well. There were a lot of freshmen involved last night. I think it was five college debuts. Um, the one that stuck out to me was, I hope I'm saying his name right, uh, Salkeld, Louis Salkeld uh, from England. He's from Newcastle. Uh, he was, I believe, a Sunderland Academy product, and he looked it. He's just, he's big, he's strong, he plays the game with energy. If he makes mistakes, he makes them at high speed. He keeps his head down and he keeps going. But it just, I mean, what more could you want from a freshman in your midfield? And, and he started, I think, initially at fullback for Max Gunther and then moved into the midfield in the second half, and Gunther reclaimed his traditional fullback spot I think Salkeld's a guy that's going to play a lot. Um, we also saw uh, a couple of other young players. Some guys made their debut off the, the bench. Um, I know uh, uh, Dom uh, Foster has been uh, kind of on the mend. He got hurt late in preseason, and it's just been coming back now uh, into preseason play or into uh, uh, into the team setup. So Nico Cross, freshman from Germany, has played quite a bit. He played, I think, all 90 minutes last night at, at center back. And uh, we saw a lot of Axel Bowden, who's from Sweden, another freshman. Uh, we saw a little bit of Lucas Norton, who's a freshman from Bearden High School in Knoxville. So uh, there are guys that um, played a lot 
last night. Uh, I think there are some other guys on the bench that could help this team, but David didn't want to make major changes to his back line. A lot of coaches don't. They, during the game, you don't really want to make a lot of changes because it can be kind of risky if, you're, if your timing's not right and you're facing a really explosive athletic team that wants to go forward in a hurry like Georgia Southern, you, you can pay the price for that. So I would expect at some point we'll see Foster back on the field. We might see Chris McKenna, the grad transfer from um, University of Mobile. Uh, those guys, I think, are going to get involved. There is a, a space for them to get involved. Uh, ETSU definitely, though, it's young players that saw the field for the first time last night. Zaidid Levy was the other one, redshirt freshman from Charlotte, who didn't play at all. Didn't get to play at all last year. Um, those guys learned a lot from their first experience, and there are going to be some lineup changes, I think, going into Kentucky. But those young players are going to be a factor for ETSU in the stretch run of 2023. Well, and that leads into the next thing. The task obviously gets a little tougher the next couple of contests. Again, a couple of ranked teams we talked about last podcast, but the the highest-ranked team right now that they're going to play is Kentucky on the road. And certainly they're going to know a lot about themselves, uh, I believe, coming out of this Georgia Southern game and then going into Kentucky and what they'll figure out. That's the number – I'm looking at the poll. Yeah, the number three team in the country, Kentucky. So, they're, uh, yeah, they're, they're, pretty, they're pretty good. They're well thought of. Um, Kentucky is number three in the other ranked teams on uh, ETSU schedule. UNC Greensboro is number 10. So lay that gauntlet down. Uh, and uh, Virginia is number 15. North Carolina actually not ranked in the initial preseason poll, did not receive any hmm. votes in the initial preseason poll, or in the, uh, the top 20, the preseason top 25 uh, from the United Soccer Coaches, which is the poll that the NCAA publishes on its website. So um, Kentucky is the best team ETSU will play this year, and they will play them early, and they return a lot of their guys from a team that spent a big chunk of time last year at number one. So this is um, – you're going from – you know, a pit with a couple of rattlesnakes to a pit full of saltwater crocodiles. I mean, this is this is going to be a huge test and a dangerous environment for ETSU in game number two. But you'd rather have the win in your back pocket and learn from that over the next, what, three days than have a loss to Georgia Southern because that could really tank. Just that, that, that could hurt the morale of a team. It's like, oh, no. What happened, and you, you end up letting the same team beat you twice because Kentucky's going to come out there and they're going to just they're, they're going to be all about it. And then for women, they kind of had that test. You know, we're, we talk about men's soccer having the test of Kentucky. Yeah. Last night was a test for them. They go to the 25th-ranked team. Uh, Tennessee Volunteers down in Knoxville, certainly a situation where we were going to learn a lot about them, and I think they came out. I think looking pretty good considering what, what we thought going into it. Yeah, all, all things considered. I mean, when you look at the history of results that ETSU has had against Tennessee, both here and in Knoxville, it's not pretty. And um, to be in a position where you – where I mean, you were 1-1 right around the hour mark and then, you know, an own goal happens and just kind of bad luck. Uh, and then Cameron Simmons scores again because she just played for Jamaica in the Women's World Cup and college soccer is kind of small potatoes for somebody like that. Uh, but, she I mean, she's been great. She's got, what, four goals in three games. 
for, for the ball, the Laney balls, and um, I, I thought ETSU was competitive. I thought they played hard. They hung in there against a team that wildly outshot them, which is kind of a taste of their own medicine for the first couple games of the year. But uh, they showed that they are not afraid. I think that's the big thing is that, that this is a team that was, it was full of young players up front that had no fear going into uh, the deep end against the number 25 team in the country and, uh, and and hanging in there. They didn't come out with the result that we all dream of, right, which is you go on the road and you get the win against a really good team. But uh, at the same time, I, I thought they, they, sh- they showed enough to convince me that what I saw the first weekend of the season is going to have some staying power because they're not going to play too many more ranked teams this season until we get to the NCAA tournament. And I thought one of the takeaways for me in that game, number one, obviously, how would ETSU do when they weren't dominating the possession, which you knew was not going to be that way. Absolutely. And I thought the other, you know, how would they respond defensively? And, again, we've not seen a lot of pressure for Ashton Blair, the, the goalkeeper, who you know had to be a huge game for her. From Knoxville, played Knox Catholic, was a starter, people, I think, forgetting that, that the COVID year, the 2021 yeah. season. And now back in the lineup, again, very tall, six foot two, But she didn't have a lot of – Chances really to you know to make saves or not, and which is good you know because again we've talked about it was almost two to one possession in the first two matches for yeah you know, she, she was gonna she was gonna start taking up another hobby right she's <laughs> you know, gonna start painting or something it's just you know have a little canvas off to the side like oh here comes the ball put this away and, and do your job it's just the the press uh, did not leave the goalkeeper much room to need to do anything in the first two games. And so this one, I was kind of curious how she went, you know, 10 saves. I mean, 27 shots were taken her way, uh, 12 or 13 on goal, whatever it was, but but 10 saves. And I thought there was a couple of – because I kind of tuned in a little late when I got home, and you, it was 1-1 when you had kind of gave me the heads up. So uh, I would like to go back and watch a little bit the first half just to see, you know, kind of how that went because you're talking about a, a – the equalizer right around the 50th minute, give or take. And, you know, you, you're right there. And I feel like that's such a great showing. Sometimes the depth and other things when you get in these contests in every sport kind of shows. But I was curious how the back end would play, and specifically uh, the goalkeeper Blair, just to see, because she had not been tested. And I felt like all the boxes I wanted to see sort of checked to have an opinion kind of on the women's squad, I, I think got checked off in a positive manner. And, and you know, from – not even result-oriented, although the results compared to what you just said a second ago, if you look traditionally, were amongst one of the best or the best. But for the same token, there were other things, kind of game within the game. How are they going to do this season? How are they going to progress? What are they able to do? I was very impressed with the show. I agree. And, and, and it's good to see Sino Asane get on the score sheet as well. Um, a player that She scored in the friendly against Virginia Tech uh, in, the, in the preseason. And a player who I, I, I love her game. Think if she puts it all together, then this uh, this attack goes to a whole new place because she has all the one v one skill. She's really good with the ball at her feet. Just seems like it kind of comes and goes, right? And that happens. I mean, soccer's a long game. You're running ten miles during a during ninety minutes. I mean, it's it's intense. Um, but if she could just get a little more consistent. Man, the things that she could do with the skill that she has are just uh, perish the thought. Like, just like I, I, I dare not think about how much fun it would be to watch this attack with with a locked in for 90 minutes, Sino Asane in the middle of it. When you've got 
Reagan Fitzgerald at the top, and, and Grace Eats is working her tail off, um, you know, just winning the ball and creating advantageous situations, creating set pieces. Fitzgerald comes in off the bench, and she's just a killer. I mean, that the, the, the killer instinct in front of goal is something that I think this team felt like they were missing the last few years, and they absolutely have that in Reagan Fitzgerald. Molly Kaysen, Ruby Teixeira, uh, uh, Ava Maternal that can play on the wings and in the midfield in various spots. I think this team is pretty good, and they're really close to doing something um, that ETSU women's soccer hasn't done in a while. Well, and they've got a couple of road tests coming up against uh, more like opponents in Gardner-Webb uh, on Sunday, and then uh, almost a week from yesterday, or it is a week from yesterday, Tennessee Tech on the road. And I know they've played a couple exhibitions with them over the last couple of years, but this will be a, a regular season match they've not had in a while. So we'll, we'll, we'll kind of see, again, what they have uh, kind of in store uh, before they head home for a couple of games. Winthrop and UNC Upstate. Yeah, now, and I will say uh, Gardner-Webb lost 2-0 at home to Davidson and then went to Clemson, which is not a long trip for them, and lost 9-rip. So... And, and that's honestly, I mean, that's what you fear when you go on the road to a Power 5 opponent. Uh, Tennessee Tech, a little more competitive, 1-1 with Western Kentucky, and a 1-0 loss to Chattanooga. They'll play Liberty tonight as we take this, and uh, Gardner-Webb actually plays Allen tonight, and then those two teams will play. So, so ETSU will have an extra day of rest going into Gardner-Webb uh, on uh, on Sunday uh, over the uh, the running Bulldogs. So, yeah. I think that would probably, given the conditioning, the Lady Bucks have. The Lady, no, they're not the Lady Bucks anymore. They're the Bucks. The conditioning that the Bucks have uh, will play to their advantage. Having that extra day of rest is going to be big for them. Well, besides uh, the next few contests uh, for men's and women's soccer, you know what else I'm excited about? You're excited about uh, gridiron football. In say addition. what? Say, 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 say what? Yeah, it's the say what it's the it's the SoCon preseason edition of say what, and uh, we'll start it out. We'll just kind of go backwards through the preseason poll, bottom to the top, and start with the guy that's taken on one of the most daunting challenges in all of Division One football in 2023. When I first addressed the team. I spoke very specifically to the reality that we're going to dedicate this season to our seniors. Well, the seniors just experienced a a very difficult season. But those same seniors won the SOCON championship just a couple years earlier. So they lived through that thrill of victory, the joy of winning, and the disappointing and suffering of defeat. So there's something to be said about that. You know, we have a nucleus in the room who believe they're a lot more like the team that won the championship than a team that finished last year. So that's a really good starting place. That is new VMI head coach Danny Rocco. Yeah, and I think you bring up a good point. Um, one, they've been decimated more than any other team with these extra years because there's no grad school, yada, yada. We've covered it. The many triple years. option is in our many, DNA. Many, uh, many podcasts over. And we'll get to triple option. Maurice, will you quit? I will talk to you in a second. Okay? <laughs> By the way, I'm a huge Maurice Drake fan. We'll talk about that in a second. But, but for Danny, I think the big thing is his message of you guys or the seniors had won a championship not that long ago. So it can be done. Let's do it for them. Let's start to build, which is also code for, hey, guys, we may not be very good this year. But at least he's honest about it, you know. And I think the expectations 
you know, are going to be, if you follow FCS, you know, maybe the VMI folks uh, that are diehards will expect more winning this and other, especially early. But I think Rocco's been at, you know, one at high levels, right? So he understands Richmond, it. Delaware. So I, I, I thought it was an interesting hire. We'll see how it plays out. But I like his message, and he speaks the truth about the seniors. And really, that's all I think they can play for this year. He, uh, he told me, he said, uh, so Sparky Woods, who was the head coach before Wackenheim, uh, was an assistant for him uh, at Richmond. And Wackenheim was an assistant for him at Liberty. So he said, he told me in the interview, which you can hear on the Buccaneer Sports Network SoundCloud, uh, I've heard all the horror stories about VMI, and I still wanted the job. So I think that says something about, you know, what he's going to go in, the mindset he's going to go in there with. And certainly um, – would, would love to see VMI be able to build something, if only because it, it would be uh, somewhat quaint, I guess, in the world that we live in now to see a, uh, which is, of course, charmingly obsolete, right? It's charmingly out of date, like a walking mailman. It's uh, It would be unique to see somebody build something the old way in the world that we live in now where there's so much roster turnover and so much roster transience. So, uh, I'm very interested to see what Danny Rocco does at VMI. How about a guy who knows his institution probably even better than Danny Rocco through secondhand knowledge? He knows it through firsthand knowledge as a player and firsthand knowledge as a coach. The triple option is in our DNA. That's not changing. If you go to a WLI field, that's one of our practice fields, and if you start digging up graves, you'll see just triple option oozing from the ground. If we got too far away from the triple option, I believe, bless his soul, Charlie Taff would come and he would let me know about it. Uh, so triple option is who we are. We just have some different wrinkles that we'll use, uh, different forms, different fashions. We do have a pass element. That's no secret. And uh, we're just looking forward to running our style of offense. So that is new head coach, who is also former assistant and former player at the Citadel, Mari Strait. Former two-time assistant. This is former like his, four, yeah, it's his fourth, right. yeah. fourth time there. And, one, I love the hire because the Citadel, more than anybody else, embraces the history and who they are, I think, more than any other SOCON team. I mean, they, they really live off the past. And they do so, and I mean this in a good way, that anytime you go on campus, they need something bought, a class will get together and buy it. So if you need a scoreboard, it's a class of 68 or whatever it may be. They do. They will come together as a group, and Maurice knows that. He plays to the crowd. That Citadel triple option is it, right? I loved all of his lines on that. I mean, again, he's got energy. I'm one of the few people probably have had interaction with Maurice Drayton in his tenure as an assistant coach. I think it would have been his first tenure as an assistant coach with him than some other folks. But either way, like, I was a big fan of this hire. I think he's going to try to keep Citadel traditional, what they are, but yet put a little bit of a wrinkle on it. And I think that's sort of what you have to do there. So huge fan of the hire. They've got a lot, a lot of question marks, a little less than VMI, but a lot of question marks. We'll see how year one goes for him. Yeah, I think it's interesting because he talked a lot about when he worked with Josh McDaniel at uh, – Raiders, that he was the guy that was kind of the quality control guy. Like he would go do a lot of different like the analysis, data analysis projects and try to find you know certain success rates for certain things in certain situations. And he's now tasked his quality control guys with doing the same thing. And he wants to bring a, 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 a more sophisticated 
form of analysis and data-driven decision-making to the oldest offense in football. I think that's just a really cool juxtaposition, and I'm, I'm fascinated to see how that plays out, although it will certainly be uh, a little bit of a rough first year, I think. Well, I, I'm sure his sophisticated analytics will say less than three yards, go for it. I hope so. I'm just, I mean, I'm just, I hope I mean, so. I mean, I'm just curious what his analytics are because the analytics for them say, you know, three yards, three yards, three yards, hey, we're going to go for it. And that's that's what they're built on and time of possession. So, And I get where he's coming from. And he's come a, a little different than when Charlie Weiss uh, left, left, you know, and, of course, McDaniel's a Patriot disciple. So was Charlie Weiss. And Weiss came in where we have this great schematic advantage with my NFL knowledge and I will be far superior and never won anything. Uh, and he still got paid lots of money to win nothing. Yeah. At, at least uh, I think Maurice has come with a different attitude of, hey, here's what I've learned, here's what I think I can do and not quite the boisterous. Because a lot of NFL yeah, guys that sure. go to college, now granted, Maurice is coming back to Zoma Modern, so I think that's different. And he's been in college before. Right, and he's been at that same spot, so he knows yeah. what to say, know what to do. He can control the message. Yeah, I, I would uh, I would be inclined to agree with that. Now, uh, how about a guy that's been around the block in college football for a very, very long time that is a head coach for the first time in quite a long time, and well, he's already been a head coach before he was a head coach at the same school. I told the coaches, let's just love the players. Let's get them to love the game that we all love. And you guys, you guys need to start loving the game again. So we went on our track. We got away from the scheme. We got more about the player. But because we were working with the player, the scheme got better because the kids knew we cared. And we cared deeply. But we had to walk the walk and prove it every day. And we had to be consistent at it. I think, you know, what happened is unique chemistry built between us and them you know it stayed that way to this moment i'm talking with you and we're, we're going to work hard for our players as coaches that is sean watson the head coach of the wofford terriers talking about what he did after he took over in the middle of the 2022 season to try to just get people to be happy to be there again i mean did he say conklin hated everybody is that what i heard he did not uh, I did not say that. but what he basically said was he's concerned about the players and wants them which says, Coach Conklin, I, I mean, this is backed up. You don't have to take my word for it, but Conklin was looking for the next job. This was a stepping stone, and he was going to get there no matter what, and it didn't work out. And I think Coach Watson read the room. These guys are beat down. They have no faith. We're not winning. There's a lot of things. So what can we do? Let's work on our relationships. Let's work on what they need. And if that leads to winning, which it did late in the year, then so be it, but, it, you know, and sometimes we talk about the process, right? But I think that was it. I think Sean Watson, and as much as I have hammered Wofford and the Conklin thing, I was also beating the drum that if Sean Watson hasn't earned the job, what, what else did he have to do? And he ended up, you know, getting the job. And, you know, it's one of those things, you know, maybe if he turns Wofford around, maybe I shouldn't have wished for that, well, you know, as a SOCON. But in the same token, I felt like what he had done, and it looked like those kids were having – I mean, you can just turn on the tape from the early season and then turn on the tape late and just see the difference in the energy and probably the passion and everything that he's talking about. So I think it's a great uh, move by Wofford. Now the honeymoon's a little bit over. You know, I don't, let's see if he's still that way or now that he knows he's the head guy, not the interim. Now how does that change? Or can he do both? Can he continue to kind of make it fun and about the players and then also work in – uh, some schematic things. But it, it's interesting just to hear the difference in how he talked about team and Wofford and how Coach Conklin did. But uh, Wofford, again, 
a lot of holes to fill. Will they go back to the – because, you know, Watson's not particularly a triple option guy. I mean, he was no, brought in not, not to be No, I think that ship has sailed. So, it would be – you know, again, how long does that take to adapt to exactly everything they want to do? Who's going to be the quarterback? A lot of questions at, at Wofford. And, again, you went through sort of what everyone had agreed on is the, the bottom three teams. Yes, that's through the bottom three teams. Now we're getting into more of the middle of the pack. We'll not be hearing from George Quarles. We're going to jump ahead a little bit and uh, hear – some interesting anecdotes from somebody's playing days. Yeah, I tell people that all the time, and and I'm not lying. But you know, I was with Indianapolis Colts, who was playing the, uh, the NFL Hall of Fame preseason game. We went toured the Hall of Fame the day before, and so we're in there, and he was like, "Kerwin, you're in the Hall of Fame." So we were in the main part, which is where the true Hall of Famers are. But you walk through a door, and there's it's called Inventions of the Game, and I played in the World League of America football back in the '90s, and um, I was the first one to wear the helmet cam. So when you walk through the door, the first thing is a, a helmet, uh, the helmet cam with my picture of me wearing it. So. I made the Hall of Fame. Erwin Bell, head coach, Western Carolina, in the Hall of Fame, but not for his playing career. I thought it was going to be when um, in Canada where he went to spike the ball and ended up spiking himself where the sun don't shine. <laughs> I thought maybe that was going to – because it's on the blue. i got to ask him about that one next. Oh, my gosh. It's on the blue. Bra. He, he, oh, he'll joke about it. He'll joke about it. But, um, you know, I had a little bit of interaction with, with Kerwin. Uh, he came back for a day. He's a Florida Gator. and came back when I was interning with the, the, the Gator Network there that one year. So a little interaction there, and I had a little bit of interaction with him at Jacksonville. As we've said, he's going to get athletes, uh, whether it was at Jacksonville, whether it's Valdosta State, now West Carolina. He's going to get Florida kids. He's going to get speed. He's going to get there, and he's he's an innovator on offense, and he's got his son. If it's not his uh, design, his son's offense coordinator, he's certainly got um, some nifty little uh, route combinations good, that we've yeah. not seen before. So, I, you know, I think – Westerners, we talked about, that's a team I can see that can make a legitimate run you wouldn't see for a SOCON championship. And I could also see them being the bottom one or two teams, but they're probably going to be middle of the pack. But that, but that it, it's the one team I, I, I could I see all be, of the spectrum. Yeah, they're going to be very boom and bust this year because it's still their identity on defense. Is You've got a guy like Andreas Keaton who – will show up on film a lot making plays, but also he'll show up on film a lot out of position. And he takes risks to make plays. That's really the identity of that entire defense. It's a lot of younger guys that are trying to take a step forward, but I, I, I don't know. It's, it's really tough to overcome that instinct to abandon the call if you see the ball. You know, so that, that'll be interesting to watch. I also loved Kerwin. He told us at the luncheon uh, his – uh, his story of how he shares the NFL's passer rating record because he was 7-for-7 seven seven one day with a touchdown. I think he threw a touchdown. And uh, he said he had a perfect passer rating. And uh, he said uh, the next week, because Harbaugh was hurt, he had to go in. He said the next week they went back to Harbaugh. And I was like, wow. I guess that wasn't well, it was for Captain Comeback. Guess that wasn't for my, yeah, Captain Comeback. Oh, dear. Uh, well, uh, how about a team that uh, made a comeback to where it historically has been and now is trying to get back to a place where it was relatively recently. And I think a lot of people down down the way got comfortable with where that was. We just got to be consistent. The end of last season was completely different than the end of the season before when I walked into the locker room. I had guys that were hurting when we lost that last one. We called the Western Carolina team. It was hot at the time, you know, and, it, and they played really, really well. We didn't play bad. They played really, really well, you know, but – that's the thing is we have to be consistent when it's time to finish things off. 
we worked really hard at that this off season and talking about it, showing it, you know, trying to do it. We're close, but um, I'm excited about what these guys can do and looking forward to coaching them and watching them go compete. That is C-Words head coach Rusty Wright on what his team needs to do to get back to the playoffs. Only question I got, and yes, I'm going to be that guy. The previous two years, they weren't hurting in the locker room after they lost the last game to miss the playoffs just that year. I don't want to call them, but like the last three years, they should be looking at themselves in the mirror and go, we've lost the, the last game. I think the point he is making um, overarching, and, and maybe he's one of those guys who, you know, he's just, you know, trying to turn the page on all the previous years or whatever. But, I mean, the last couple of years they've had the same kind of ending. So the question isn't, is Chattanooga good enough? The question is, are they going to win the last game of the year? Because that's, that's what it's been that's held them out the last three seasons. They also have to make sure that they have what they need at quarterback. Is Chase Artopia is going to be the guy? Uh, is is that going to click? I mean, you just you never know with a transfer QB. Well, and especially and, a guy that just, I mean, he's been around high level college football, but he's never actually thrown a pass. So that Chattanooga is interesting in the league because before really, I think they've got a lot of other weapons. You know, Ford, the offensive line you expect to be pretty good every year. They're really good up front on defense. Cam Brown has a chance to be an All American in the backfield. Um, I, you know, th- this is a group that's got some talent. I just think they got to figure out quarterback, and then they got to finish. And maybe those things go hand in hand. They definitely have to, to finish and correct. I do think they have been lacking the last couple years at quarterback because the defense is there. The run game is there. They need a few more plays from the quarterback position. But Chattanooga is one of the schools that has figured out the transfers many years ago. I mean, Mike McCarthy, you know, in the 80s and 90s, I mean, that was his – his deal, and nobody was doing the transfer thing back then. Terrell Owens, yeah. You know, they were getting all kinds of transfers in and winning and, you know, across every sport. I mean, football, basketball, you know, uh, I'm sure there's others, but, I mean, those are the two big ones. But they got transfers when people really weren't taking transfers. And, and you know, people took JUCO transfers, but not a lot of people took four-year transfers. Was T.O. a four-year or a JUCO? He was, a, he was actually a four-year guy. Okay. He was a four-year guy. But still, there are plenty of other examples, um, if yep. given more than just that say what quote to look up at time I could have gave you. But, yeah, it's, that's interesting to me. The, the quarterback is going to be the thing because they were turning, obviously, a, a Lynn Ford and Appleberry at running back. They've got like 17 All-Americans on defense, it seems like. So they've got enough defensively. The offensive line last couple of years have found a way to get guys in the NFL. So – to me, it's obviously what can the quarterback do. Plus, the receivers, I think, made a step forward last year. Who has more sacks at the end of the year, Bruton or Person? Uh, Bruton. I agree. All right, let's hear Let's hear from a player. Let's hear from the preseason offensive player of the year. I wanted to come in here out of high school, and, uh, you know, he offered me a, a walk-on spot, but I got an offer from Murray State, so I took that, and I was there for two years, and then I went to junior college, went to Northwest Mississippi, had a phenomenal two years there, and then – you know, once Hatch gave me the offer to come back to Sanford, I, I couldn't pass it up. So I'm glad I came back. That's Michael Hires. I think it's hilarious that this guy, who is clearly extraordinarily talented, Hatch wanted him as a walk-on and not a scholarship player. And he went, he kind of bounced around a little bit. You know, he goes to Murray State for a couple of years. He goes the Juco route to Mississippi, and then he comes back, and he's everything that he thought he could be. Sometimes you just got to bet on yourself, right? Agreed. 
and it's paid out for him, and paid off for him, I should say, paid out, paid off, whatever. And I think again, they're they're going to be the the one of the teams to beat. And the defense came around finally, and Coach Hatcher seemed like they were interested in defense, and that was the knock. Instead of going four and four in the SoCon, if you ever tried to play defense, maybe you could win the league, and they did. And not only that, they saw success like ETSU did, had the same fate as ETSU did, a loss in the Fargo Dome. But for the most part, they returned a lot of key pieces, lost a few guys, but they still have a lot of key pieces back, and certainly it starts with the quarterback. How about a team that has basically every key piece back, the preseason favorites? You know, I think it's just maybe example where your program is, what you're trying to do, but you still got to go play. You know, you got you to gotta go play. And I think last year we picked fourth. I remember we picked fourth when we won the national championship, you know, so it, it, it really doesn't matter. I think our kids expect to win, you know, and I, I think the last couple of years we got it back where our kids expected to play really well, which gives you a chance to win. And I just think that's what the difference is. You know, right now they expect to go win. That is Clay Hendricks, Furman Paladins, the Furman Paladins. Uh, the pre- head coach of the preseason favorite says, doesn't really think it matters that much. But at the same time, it, it is a benchmark for where – it kind of is a, a, an indicator of where people see your program. And those external expectations reflect the changing internal expectations where years past, Furman was maybe like, well, let's put the helmets on see what happens. Now he says they expect to win. The Furman Paladins. So they do – they should expect to win. You know, you get Huff back at quarterback. They've certainly got two, three running backs that are back. Now they lose Ron Miller, and I think that is a, a – a big loss, even though he was listed as a tight end, wasn't a tight end, but they listed that and was a All-American. I think he had 22, 23 straight games with a touchdown, which is quite incredible. So I think that part's going to be a little tough. They've got a few defensive guys back in the fold um, as well that were key. They really and they didn't lose a lot. There's a couple small losses, and I think Miller being the largest loss that they took. But they're going to be, I think, the, the team to beat. Second year, we'll Huff running the system. We'll see if that offense takes a, a bigger step. Instead of them squeaking by some games, will they be able to kind of run people off the field? Yeah. All right, that's uh, that's a look through the SoCon. How about we focus in on ETSU and uh, something that I think maybe had some fans a little bit out of sorts, but ultimately you and I saw it from day one. It was exactly what we thought it would be. Tyler Rydell is QB1 for the Bucks entering 2023. I knew it was going to be a competition coming in. I didn't expect it to be handed to me. Now, with that being said, I did think I was doing some good things, but this is a com- the offense I'm comfortable in. But I think all of us are doing great things. And as we've seen in the past, if I go out there and I don't perform right, they'll put somebody else in. It's kind of better when something's not just handed to you. You know you have to go out and work for it because it's going to bring your best every day. With those guys right there next to you that push you, you know, they're doing good things too. Now i got to step it up. Now i got to elevate my game. It feels good to know that I can compete with other people and, and win a spot. That is, of course, ETSU quarterback Tyler Rydell. Well, I told George Corrals during the bye week he should make Rydell the third stringer uh, just because apparently he likes competition enough. So just let him be uh, – <laughs> So right after that third game against Austin P, put him as third string, run some other guys out there. But he's every time they try to replace him, they can't. And, you know, he's back in the system. I like, you know, that he's truthfully telling the truth. You know, I'm not just saying because that's the offense they're doing. You can tell he's more comfortable in that system. He's great and was able to make checks at the line. Yes. So uh, how exactly is everybody else 
adapting to that new scheme, T.Y.? Just knowing what we expect of each play, like, yes, you may have a slant and a flat route, and you run your slant route at three yards, he runs his flat route. But knowing within that play, if I get a certain coverage, I can pick this linebacker, and I can make the play better in certain ways. I think we take a while to get lined up and, and get plays going, but we're doing a real good job of understanding what we want to get out of certain plays, kind of like I said, uh, knowing there's more to the play and just really grasping the offense and understanding it. I read that as something Randy Sanders would say, hey, we're not always trying to make the hero play. Right. We're not trying to, you know, if the play calls for catch it, get five, six yards, do that. If you happen to break some tackles and score, great. But if you don't see a try mismatch, to do too much. Take it, right. but don't try to do too much. Yeah. Right. Take you know the old take what the defense gives you, but sometimes plays are designed, you know, for six yards. Get your six yards because there's a bigger game plan and bigger scheme involved that coach is working on. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he has a new target. We all we all know about Will Huzzy. We all know about Enosh Carter. Um, he has somebody else that's going to be, I think, fairly heavily involved in the offense from north of the border. Sure. I mean, we have some big players that came back from last year, of course. You know, Enosh, Will Huzzy. It's a great competitive spirit. I mean, new guys trying to come on and just compete for a spot. We're, we're not very, very deep, but we have a lot of talent and a lot of poise at that position. we got some players that are hungry that want to play, get on the field. So it's a good spirit in that group. You know, they always say if you can't get on the field, you got to do special teams. You know, to me, that's a big deal. You know, punt returner, you get only a few chances, but when it's there, you got to make a play. It can make or break a game. So if they put me back there, then, you know, it's kind of an honor. That is Xavier Kierdetz, redshirt freshman, who, from indications we've heard from the coaching staff, is going to have a fairly sizable role in the offense to start the year. He looks good. I mean, to be honest with you, um, you know, redshirted last year, um, had a little bit of a slight issue injury-wise, but he's overcome that, and he looks really good and a, a big target. I mean, he's a big kid. He is, and uh, he's willing to contribute on special teams, and that may be a spot where he or Tommy Winton, I don't know who you want there in the punt return game. If you want Winton, you want Carter, you want uh, uh, Geardetz, but somebody in that group, I think, is poised to make a big impact on special teams as well. Well, he's the biggest guy of those three. He is by far the biggest yeah. guy of those three. How about, how, about, how about a big guy? How about the big guy on defense? Talking about depth, which has been a storyline all offseason and now in fall camp. We still have some holes that we have to fill. We've had some people hurt. We've lost DeAndre Davis for six weeks, and that's going to hurt us. We're still looking for depth at safety and corner. But, uh, you know, we, we've got enough to be a, a good defense. We just, we've got to do a great job of conditioning and make it to where these guys can play a whole game. That is, of course, defensive coordinator Billy Taylor. I don't have a whole lot of worries about Coach Taylor unless a lot of injuries happen, which we saw last year. That, But any defense coordinator – you know, you deal with injuries, it's going to be tough. But getting his guys coached up, getting technique, you know, his scheme schematically, plus he's gone against Rich Rodriguez a couple of times. He's had good success against Jacksonville State over the years. So just for the game opener, but for the overall season, I mean, there's not um, – I'm trying to think who lost a piece because uh, Hedgepath's not there anymore. I'm thinking who the head coach is. But anyway, he has coached against – other than maybe Austin P. he has coached against every single – Head coach in some form or fashion. Um, Scotty Walden. Okay, Scotty Walden. And I do not know if he's coached against Scotty Walden. Uh, I do know he's coached against Rocco before, back when he was at Tennessee Tech. So I know he's coached against everybody, um, and he's got to look. And so I feel pretty confident, but it'll ultimately be can the guys stay healthy enough and can 
the young guys that they're going to have to lean on because the people left in transfer portal, how quickly do they develop? Yep. Again, the one thing I don't worry about is him developing. That's Billy Dick. Interesting to hear him talk about DeAndre Davis, uh, expecting him to be back around the start of conference play, and that will mean Teddy Wilson most likely uh, in his spot, which is really a position where it's it's all about leverage. It just turn everything back the other way. Turn everything back in toward the middle of the field and uh, let the other guys funnel to the football. It's all about – at North Dakota State, they always talk about keeping the cup. You keep the cup. You don't let the runner outside of this this kind of bulge that you create by bending the offensive line backward. You keep him in there, and he can't get big yardage as a result. So uh, I think that's what – I think that's something that Wilson could just step right in and, and do and be impactful. All right, let's talk about uh, the secondary. Shall we? With somebody who has had the word breakout thrown around next to his name a lot. Uh, yes, sir. I'm a confident man. I'm confident in my abilities. I feel like you turn on the tape. Uh, breakout is a word that describes me the best. I feel like I'm the best safety in the conference, and I'll show that on, t- on film this year. I feel like I can cover really well. I have a, a, real, a, a feel for um, receivers and the speed they're coming off and reading routes and understanding the route tree and understand what we're going to get as far as with our scheme. Coach Taylor's scheme is a, a run-stop defense. I play through the field, of course, so I'm covering a lot more in the slot, taking away a lot of those slants, taking away a lot of those quick game, and um, all the deep routes that taken care of, too. Sheldon Arnold on the responsibilities of a safety in this scheme, and also he believes he can have a big year this year. Yeah, let's see. I got to stop the run. I got to stop slant. I got to stop the deep ball. Sheldon's got it. I think he can do all that. No, oh, I love it. No, it's not, a little more complicated than I, that. I know, I know, but it was so funny to, 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 as he got done. I mean, was he making popcorn too? I mean, it was just one of those funny things where he was like, "Yo, it's just a run first. He was just going to stop the run, and I got to stop the quick game and the slant." And all the way, I got to take away the ball. It's just, it was one, like he's, he made it like it's very simplistic to start with. Oh, it's very simple. And then as he kept going, kept going, I'm like, no, you understand it. So it's simple to you that you you have to be able to read and react quickly to see which one of those three very different things that are coming your way. And, oh, by the way, when you play a couple three backs, you got to worry about that as well. So, uh, But, again, he's one of the guys that's gotten a lot of accolades early this year, and the Bucks are going to lean on him heavily. All right. Let's, uh, so next guy, the last one is about the defensive line, right? We th- we th- we've talked all the, at length about Jalen George. Well, that doesn't come from nowhere. It comes from hearing from guys that talk about Jalen George a lot. Guys are talking about Devin Brantley a lot in camp this year as well. And that leaves Max Evans in a spot where he's the smallest guy, the smallest guy on the defensive line. It is weird, man. You know, I've never been the biggest guy on the D-line, but now I am the smallest. But uh, it's something I kind of wear with a chip on my shoulder. I kind of enjoy being that guy and trying to out-physical my other two guys. You know, it's something we all kind of compete with. So it's, it brings a lot of competition and fun to the room. Super excited about Jalen George. I think he's going to have a great year. It's going to be a name a lot of you guys are going to get familiar with. And uh, Devin Bradley is probably the best I've ever seen him. He's, uh, he's playing within the defense. He's an absolute freak athlete. But those guys are going to have go-off years. That's Max Evans. Yeah, you know him, you love him. Yeah, he's uh, any position they want him to play, he has done it on the D line. He's played all three. Yeah, uh, the three, the five, the nose, all that good fun stuff. And I think him signing off on Jalen George and complimenting Brantley because those are going to be the three guys with a hand in the dirt to start the season. Yes, they are, and they're all going to be pretty good. I think that that is the unit I am least worried about. And I, I tell you, we may see some other young guys get involved there too. I brought up LeBlanc a couple weeks ago just kind of on a lark because I saw him be really good one day. It's not just been one day. That kid is – he doesn't look – he looks like a linebacker out of position, but he is good. Uh, Coach's kid, too. So, you know, the work ethic. He's got to pick up a scheme quick, yeah. 
So hey, it'll be interesting to see. You know, we'll game week coming up next week. So a lot to talk about as we'll get into game week prep. We'll start talking about uh, the season coming up on Tuesday, and of course Thursday we'll preview ETSU and Jacksonville State. And by the way, we'll have some soccer volleyball chats as well. Yes, we will have plenty of other fall sports discourse. All right, that'll do it for this week as we got down with our Say What? Mercer UNA. Mercer by how much? 12.